What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, whose mission is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere, and they offered us Life After Miscarriage Gals, guys, and our couples 10% off their first month when using the link betterhelp.com L-A-M. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have Ellen Barnard on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her story. She is a fertility and hormone coach, and I am just really pumped to hear a little bit more about what she does, how she got into it. So Ellen, I am just going to toss it at you. And if you could just kind of tell us a little bit more about you, what you do and how you got started. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I am unfortunately a part of the lost community as well. Um, but my story starts, um, at becoming a doula in my twenties. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know what a doula is, is it's a labor and, um, essentially a labor coach, right? Like we're there to help you prep for your birth, um, help advocate, um, based on what your needs are and your wants are for your birth. Um, and then we help postpartum as well, just kind of with that transition to, to motherhood. Um, and so I became a doula in 2014. Um, I was a hairstylist before that, which is funny. Um, but I, you know, had so many women in my chair and just talking about, um, you know, pregnancy and how hard it was and just, you know, what you talk about with your hairstylist, pretty much everything. Right. Um, and it kind of scared me because I always wanted to be a mom. I never thought I'd have issues being a mom. Um, and the fact that so many women like hated being pregnant and were scared to give birth and like I never wanted that for myself and so I started kind of looking into empowering things around birth I'm a researcher by nature and um found being a doula and I was like oh my gosh that's so great I love like women's empowerment and 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 this is great and so I became a doula certified um like I said in 2014 and started taking birth and I was one of the few doulas that wasn't a mom, didn't have babies. And it was interesting. I mean, I I definitely thought like who would hire me, (laughs) but I'm very, again, very studied. So I knew how to support people. I just didn't have the emotional experience of of going through a birth myself. Um, And so my, I had met my husband in that timeframe. We ended up getting married um, in 2015. Um, And in 2017, we started trying and I got pregnant right away, easy peasy. Like I'd been charting my cycle for, um, gosh, five, five years at that point. So when I say charting fertility awareness method, where I, I'm charting my cervical fluid um, and my basal body temperature um, to know when I ovulate. So I had had a past diagnosis of PCOS, but had seemed to, with lifestyle changes and, and nutrition and things, not had an issue with it. And so I thought I was the healthiest. I was my thinnest. I was my fittest. I was, you know, in my twenties, like no worries of of getting pregnant and got pregnant on our, I mean, really our first try, like our first month. 
I knew when I ovulated, we did it, it was great. And I guess I didn't really think, you know, like so many, like that there would be a miscarriage. And, um, but I do really strongly remember the moment finding out being so excited. Um, I had found out on a girl's trip, <laughs> came home to tell my husband and being excited and then having this moment that I never thought I would experience of, of being scared and like almost wishing like, oh wait, I wish maybe this isn't the best timing. Like maybe, maybe it was too soon. Like I got pregnant on the first try. Like I didn't really expect that. And like, I thought maybe there'd be time in between. And, um, and so that stuck with me because when I did have the miscarriage, I beat myself up over that thought of like, maybe right now it's not a good time. Maybe I don't really want this baby right now. And like, right. It's funny how when we're in that dark place that we come back to those. Um, so obviously I was, um, got a confirmation of pregnancy early on. I was kind of in between care because we had just moved from Hawaii um, and I wasn't really established in Washington yet. Um, so I had just gone and saw a doctor down the street kind of thing to get a confirmation of pregnancy. And I knew the birth community here. You know, I knew I wanted to go with a midwife. I knew, um, you know, I wanted to have a natural birth. So my husband wasn't so sure on a home birth. So we, we were going to go see um, a midwife um, center up up north here and um which i had worked out a few times for births and so we went up to them um and had the first appointment i was um just barely 10 weeks at that point when i had had my first appointment with them and they had done the doppler and couldn't find the heartbeat and said oh, 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 oh don't worry you know it's totally fine like it's very normal to not see a doc to get a heartbeat um, on the doppler like depending on where your placenta is and all of that and like and i logically knew that but I just had this sinking feeling at that point, like, no, something's wrong. Like this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. Um, and so they scheduled me for an ultrasound. And it's funny because at that point they said, just to, just to ease your mind, right? Like just to make you feel better about it. And, um, you know, obviously most people not going through midwifery care have already had an ultrasound around, you know, anywhere from like six to nine weeks really to, to see that heartbeat. And so, all my friends, all my family were like, oh, it's so weird. You haven't had one yet. I'm like, yeah, it's midwifery care. Like it's non-invasive. Like they don't do ultrasounds really unless you want them. Um, and so we had gone in and I had just really positive, <laughs> tried to be so positive and say like, oh, it's fine. You know, like it, you're just worrier. You're just, you're just worrying. You've seen too much in the birth community that you're, you're worried about it. So obviously, um, again, this is back in 2017 and I, I, and I remember the way the office smelled. Like I remember the faces of the ladies. Like it was so traumatic to go in to get the ultrasound. You know, my husband's there. The room was so tiny that he had to sit at the end of the bed. Like he had to stand at the end of the bed because the ultrasound tech could only be on the one side. And so I just remember looking at him and laying there and, and you know, they do the, on my belly, the ultrasound. And she's like, don't, um, she's like, we're not, uh, we're not finding anything, but you're probably just earlier than you think. And I'm like, I've charted for five years. I know that I'm not earlier than I think. Um, and so I knew at that point and I looked at my husband and, he, and of course he has no clue what's going on. And he's just like, babe, it's fine. Don't worry. It's fine. She said, she's going to, you know, like you're going to go to the bathroom. Like they're going to do the transvaginal. Like it's fine. Like they'll find it in a minute. Like just try to stay positive. I'm like, no, you don't know like this, you know? And of course then the ultrasound text can't tell you anything. And I wish that there was a disclaimer in the beginning. I feel like 
anybody who's an ultrasound tech and ever listens to this, like, please tell your patients that there's going to be awkward silence and that there's going to be a point where you can't say anything. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but like you should pre-warn them that that's what's going on. Um, because I just had never experienced that, obviously. And so she goes silent, you know, with the transvaginal and I'm just bawling. Like I already know what's happening. And I think at that point it's like, you know, the earth spinning, like you're just out of body. And I don't know that I came back into my body for months. Like I just was so surfaced, like above myself, like just so out of it. Um, leaving there, I remember the doctor coming in and going to hand me tissues. And I wanted to like physically throw the tissue box at her. Like I was so mad that she would, like I was so insulted that she would hand me tissues. And I don't know why that was so insulting, but just the way that they had handled it. And I was like already dressed walking out because I already knew. And, and I was so upset. And they, I guess they had snuck the, the ultrasound picture to my husband, put it in his pocket. I didn't even know actually for like six months later that my husband even had the ultrasound picture. Um, but we left there, called the midwife, and I went into the office, it was on the way home. And I mean, I had only, I, I'd worked with them before, but I had only gone in for one appointment. You know, I didn't have a relationship built with them or by any means around my birth, but um, I walked in and I mean, I was sobbing obviously. And, and the three midwives in practice there, two were there at the time and they just held me, you know? And I remember feeling validated at that point. Um, but again, because like I said earlier in my story, like I wasn't an established patient really with them and I didn't have like a, a regular PCP. Like I didn't, you know, I just didn't really have anyone to advocate for me at that point. And so they walked me through my choices of, you know, if they had told me at the appointment that, um, the heartbeat had stopped around nine weeks and I was 11 weeks at that point, 11, almost 12 weeks at that point. And so they said, you know, if your body was going to do it naturally, it probably already would have. And so you're more than welcome to wait. They knew how holistic and like natural I am. And they're like, if that feels better to you, like, wait, you know, I said, no, like I want this over with now. Like, I don't want to deal one more day thinking about this baby in my body, like it actually being in my body. And so they said, okay, well, we can't prescribe you the meds for that. So like, let me, if you feel comfortable with it, like we'll pass you essentially to who I thought at the time was an OBGYN, this woman. And again, very out of body. Like I didn't, wasn't advocating for myself. I just remember being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever can give me the meds, cool. Um, and so we got an appointment the next day with her and she was actually a uh, family, like women's and family doctor, um, not an OBGYN. And um, that was kind of the first misstep is that this was somebody that they had trusted, they had passed patients to. I know that they felt comfortable with her, um, but she had given me a transvaginal ultrasound again um, when I got there and said, okay, well, you know, confirmed, confirmed, like we're not seeing it. Um, so, you know, you can take the meds. Um, you might have to take two doses, like let us know after the first one, like how it goes, but you'll know that you passed, passed the baby. And I said, okay, well, you know, whatever, again, out of body. We go home, I take the meds. Things just aren't really happening. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't bleed the way that I, that they were ex uh, expressing the, that I would. And it just didn't seem like that. And so I remember, I think the next morning woke up, called again to the office. She used to take the second dose. And I said, okay, took it. Definitely had what they experienced. Um, and for somebody who, 
birth was so important for me. It was an experience that I was so ready to take. I mean, I'm that person that's like, yes, mother nature, like take my hand, like walk me through labor. Like I was stoked to give birth. And so for my first birth experience to be a miscarriage, um, because, and I don't know what everyone's experience is obviously with their bodies, you know, taking the medication, but I mean, I had contractions. Like I was breathing through them at points. I mean, it was painful and it was a lot. And I just remember thinking like, this is labor. Like I'm laboring out my baby and this is so fucked up. Like I just can't, couldn't get past that. And I just, you know, remember crying and remember being so mad at my body and thinking if, if I have, this is my healthiest, right? Like the, the darkest thoughts were, you know, I didn't deserve to nourish my body. I remember not wanting to eat. I remember not like feeling like it was worth putting in an effort because I was just like, my body was so fucked anyways. Like, what did it matter? You know, like I just, so I, um, got through that and we went again the next day, um, following to see that same provider. She did another transvaginal, told me that all the, the tissue, everything was gone and I was in the clear. And we were really, it was really important that I was in the clear because my husband um, was working a job at that point that he was gone all the time, back and forth from Canada. And so he had this big trip, he had to go on for work and wasn't gonna go. They had given him time off right when I had the miscarriage, um, but he wasn't gonna go. And I was so over him like, I love him. He's a great partner, but like, I'm sure you guys can relate, but he was just, it was, are you okay? Like, you know, all of those things where I was like, I just want to be left alone. Like I just want like, you know? And so I was like, please, like if she says medically, I'm fine. Like just to go, my family's here. Like I'm fine. So he get we get the clear, he leaves. And the next day my dad comes over um, to stay with me. And I had a girlfriend who's a doula, long time doula come over and I just remember, you know, she was doing henna on my arm and a hand and, you know, we were just chatting and, um, you know, we were just talking about grief. And I remember her telling me like, grief is not linear. Like it, there is no ch like chart on it. Like there's no steps, there's no right steps for this. So if you have a mo moment of joy in the midst of all this darkness, like that is okay. And if you have darkest dark, like, it's okay to go there. Like, we're going to get you out of it. Like you're going to get out of it. And I remember that hitting so hard because I remember thinking like, if I go too deep into this darkness, into this pain, I'm not going to come out of it. Like I was really scared of the, the, you know, those scary thoughts like that, you know, being mad at my body and, and all of that. And so it felt really validating for her to tell me like, however you're going to experience this grief, like go through it like however it looks. And if it's dark and scary, it's okay that it's dark and scary. Like you're going to experience that, but you're going to come out the other side. And so by the time she was done, I mean, I don't know, she was there maybe two hours and I started feeling like hot and cold and started getting clammy and sweaty. And I just thought, oh, this, this is weird. You know, like maybe I have to go to the bathroom. And I just was like, okay. And I, I kind of remember hurrying her at the end because I was like, I'm going to like go to the bathroom. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, yuck, you know? my dad had just gotten there, thank God, and, you know, had gone to the bathroom and passed what was the sack, which, you know, I, I thought I had passed before. I mean, I had big clots. I thought everything was done. I, I had this transvaginal. She told me that everything was cleared. Um, and I mean, it was huge. And I just remember, again, out of body experience, like looking down at the toilet and being like, what? is that like what I thought this was done I didn't expect that I didn't 
And then the bleeding started and it was so intense. I mean, I just remember it feeling like it was gushing. Like, and I have never experienced it. I mean, I had PCOS, I've had heavy periods. Like, and I just was all of a sudden just really shocked by it. Um, and so my poor dad, um, I, I just screamed from the bathroom, like, oh, oh my, like, and I really honestly at that moment, like thought I was dying because I was like, this huge thing just came out of me. Like that has to be my baby, the sack, you know, cause obviously I think anybody on this podcast knows like that's your baby, whether it's tissue, whether it's whatever, like that's your baby. And so that was my baby in the toilet. And I, then I had this moment of like, well, maybe it's poop with blood over it. Like so weird. But I, I called my dad in and was like, you're seeing that, right? Like, this is not me. Like I, he's like, oh my God, like, yeah. Like, uh, are you, are you okay? And I remember being like, no, like I'm, this is a lot of blood. Like, I don't think this is normal. And I mean, again, being somebody who walks women through postpartum, like, you know, the rules, like an hour a pad is pretty much the standard. And I said, okay, I'll give it a minute. Like, let me put a pad on. And within the time that we were deciding whether or not, like, like what emergency room I was going to, or was I being dramatic? Like it was maybe 15, 20 minutes of us deciding what to do. I bled through that pad. And I said, no, we're going. Like, I have no idea what's happening right now. Um, we're going because I, I thought I was done with this. So like, what's, what's happening. And of course then my dad, he's bless his heart, but was like, maybe we should call an ambulance. Like maybe you're not going to make it like to the emergency room. And so I said, call mom. My, my parents are divorced, but they communicate and he calls my mom and she says, no, go to the emergency room. Like, you know, she's going to make, she's going to make it to the emergency room. She's not gray. She's not, you know, she's still talking to you. Like everything's fine. The emergency room was 25 minutes away. My dad GPS it to make sure that he could get me there in time. Um, and I changed the pad right before I left. And in 25 minutes, I mean, we got, I don't know, halfway there and I grabbed his fleece from the back and put it on the seat because I was already like going through what I was wearing. So the big, big pad. And, um, and I just remember that panic, like, I can't believe this is happening. Like all, all of that. And, um, of course my dad's sure I'm dying and we get into the emergency room and I mean, so degrading, so embarrassing to be standing there with blood all over you. Everybody knows what's happening. I mean, it's obviously in my pants, like my pants, like it's, I mean, you know, so to be on display like that. And I just remember them getting me a wheelchair and I'm sitting there and then they took my vitals and they said, oh, we'll get you back in a little bit, but like, we're pretty busy. Like we'll get you back. And I just remember feeling continual gushes and sitting in a, in blood and <laughs> I'm just sobbing. And my dad goes up and he's like, you have to get her back right now. Like she's gushing blood like this. She's going to die out here. Like, what are you doing? And then at that point I'm convinced I'm dying because I've never experienced anything like that. And I remember this nurse coming out and sit, looking at me and looking me in the eye and, and just saying, you have color to your skin. I know that this is scary. I know it feels like a lot of blood. I'm not saying it's not, but we're looking at you. Your vitals were okay. Your vitals would tell us otherwise. Like, you know what I mean? Like just logic to me. And I was like, okay all right, like, okay, okay, you know, but I, her, it was so important for her to say to me, like, we're watching you, like, we've got you, but we're also, like, we feel confident that you're okay, like, we, you're seen, you're okay, like, you're safe, and of course, I was still freaking out, but, you know, they get me back, and they check me, and, and um, 
essentially say like all clear, like whatever you needed to pass, you passed it all, like your bleeding is under control. And one thing that they told me, which, you know, at the time I didn't really understand. I mean, I, I do again, being in the birth community, but they're like, that wasn't all blood. Right. And I was like, like, what do you mean? That wasn't all blood. Like it was blood. It was red. It was, you know, but all of the fluids and all of the things that are a part of miscarrying, it wasn't just blood. I wasn't hemorrhaging. Right. I wasn't bleeding out. It was just all of what was supposed to have already happened plus some, but it wasn't, you know, my blood count wasn't down. Like I was safe to go home kind of thing. And so my mom came and took me home and, um, you know, cause my husband's gone. So I go through all that. And again, the rest is a little bit blurry. As far as I remember my mom taking me back to the doctor, same woman, finding out at that point that she wasn't an OBGYN because my mom, of course, asked, I was like, what are your credentials here, lady? Like, what, you know, and my mom has medical like history. She was a phlebotomist and stuff and worked in hospitals for years and years. And so she's, she raised a strong girl and my mom's very, um, <laughs> opinionated strong. I don't know. Anyway, so she's kind of grilling the doctor a little bit and, um, yeah. And so she, she says, okay, well, how do you know from a transvaginal that everything's clear? I didn't think the transvaginals, like you could see that, like the tissues and whatever. And she's like, oh no, she should be fine. Like this should be fine. Okay. And whatever. And I just, again, I don't even remember being able to really talk. Like I remember her asking me questions and just giving yes or no answers, just being really out of body. Um, and so I get home, you know, everything's supposedly fine and I'm still bleeding, but it's not bad and whatever. And fast forward a month goes by and I'm still bleeding and I'm calling my midwife and I'm calling this doctor and I'm like, I can't handle bleeding this much anymore. Like whether or not my body's okay with it, like if like I might not be depleted, but like I emotionally and physically can't keep doing this. Like something has to change. Like this can't be healthy. This can't be right. Like I've never heard of anyone that's, you know, experienced this, like what, what's happening. And so essentially the, the doctor says, well, I can't, I'm not an OBGYN. I can't perform a DNC, <clears throat> but it sounds like you probably need one. There's probably still, you know, retained tissue and you probably need to get a DNC to make this all stop. And I said, okay, so what do I do? I don't have a provider. Like I don't have, you know, what do I do? She says, well, go to the emergency room. They'll do an ultrasound to an actual ultrasound to see um, if you still have retained tissue and they can do a DNC from there. I said, okay, so my husband's out of town again, just conveniently, like that's the timing of it. He's out of town again. He had been home in between, but is out of town again. And I, so I call my mom. She takes me to the emergency room and I'm sure that that's what's going to happen, right? Like they're going to ultrasound me. They're going to order a DNC. I'm going to go from there. I'm going to get it done. And the guy says, well, yep, there's definitely retained tissue, um, but it's not emergent. So you can go home and schedule a DNC. I'm like, no way. Like I came here for this process, like for you to give me a DNC because of this, like I'm not leaving without one. He's like, well, you have to, like, you, you know, call around essentially. So I'm out of body still calling around advocating for myself to get a DNC. And I just remember talking to like the office gals, you know, I'm like trying to keep my shit together. And I just couldn't. And I was like crying on the phone being like, listen, lady, like I need a DNC. Like I've been bleeding for a month. Like I had this traumatic, you know, experience with a miscarriage. Like I just want it done. I want it over with, like, please get me in. And everyone was like a week out or like needed to see me first or whatever. I was like, I'm just in the emergency room. Like I know what's happening. Like, you know, anyways. So finally I got one gal to, to call me back and say, okay, we can get you in. And it was a few days later. I think maybe two days later, 
um, and got me in um, for the DMC. My dad took me, uh, my husband was still gone. Um, and it was so traumatic to go through that and to be alone. And, you know, there was nothing my husband could do. He was already gone. Like we had no idea that this was going to happen. And I mean, I technically could have waited until he was home, but like at that point, going through it alone felt better than waiting even another week to get it done. Um, and so I had somebody, one of my girlfriends had given me, I don't even remember what stone it was now, um, but a stone to hold and rub, like in the surgery, like, to, you know, to go in with, it's like something to hold on to and something to feel like to put my energy into or whatever. And I remember like asking the nurse, you know, I'm all prepped for, for surgery and I'm just saying, can I hold this stone? She says, yeah, honey, you can hold that stone. And she said, who's going to, who's going to be here when you get up? You know, like, cause obviously I'm in this DNC with like going into surgery without like my dad wasn't in the room with me, you know, all of that. And so she was kind of like concerned for me. And, and I said, can you just, you know, is, is someone going to stay with me until like, you know, I go out, go under. And she says, yeah, I'll, I'll hold your hand until you go. And I said, okay, thanks. Um, and you know, and it was super routine and easy and done. And I remember leaving and it, it was easy. You know, everything was easy from there. Um, my husband was gone again when I had to do my checkup um, after that. So our, bless them, they had become family, but um, our, my neighbor took me, a lovely older couple um, that we had become friends with. And they took me to that follow-up appointment. I remember like getting lost going into the doctor's office, which was ridiculous because I had been there a million times. Um, and just again, being really out of body. Um, so yeah, that was that miscarriage in 2017. And with that, I, um, it really start sparked a, a passion, I guess, because being a researcher by nature, it wasn't something that I was okay saying like, I'll try again and see if I have a loss again. Like I wasn't that positive person that was like, Oh, miscarriages happen. Like it felt super dismissive to me to say like, miscarriages just happen. And I, I also know that they do. Don't get me wrong. Like I know that some people just have one and it like happens and between things. Right. But to me that didn't feel validating. And I, I just wanted to know what was wrong with me, you know? And so it had sparked just a lot of conversation of friends of mine in the doula community. And of course, you know, when you share that you had a miscarriage, it was important to me, obviously to, to share. So I had shared on social media, um, and, you know, being in the birth community, I knew that I would get a lot of support that way. It felt really good and cathartic to write it out. Um, and I had shared it. And of course, you get all of these people who it's like, oh, I had a miscarriage too, or I've had three, or I've had one, you know, whatever. And that was really nice to know people because I didn't really know anybody before. My mom had had a miscarriage between my sister and I, but I remember growing up and knowing that. And it was just like a, oh yeah, it happened, no big deal. And I talked to her about it, you know, when I was going through it and it still wasn't very traumatic for her. It was just she was told like, oh, it happens, like no big deal. And she got pregnant with me really quick and it was no big deal. Um, and so, you know, it was nice to connect with other women over it, um, especially in the birth community. But my chiropractor who I was seeing at the time um, is a midwife. And she said, you know, Ellen, I think you should be tested for MTHFR and, you know, you should look into that. It's a, a gene mutation that can can cause um, miscarriages. And I said, okay, she said, I just know your medical history a little bit. I know, you know, you a little, and, and I think that, you know, you should check that out. And I said, okay. So of course, like my doctor wouldn't run that test and I had to pay for it out of pocket. And it was, I don't know, something stupid, but it was still like money out of pocket. I was so annoyed, but it was like 200 bucks or something. And I got that test and sure enough, I have both variants and 
And I remember thinking like, aha, this is it. Like, this is the thing that like, see, you know, um, and going to a naturopath. And because like I said before, like I had done all the healthy things. I was my fittest. I was my thinnest. I was, you know, all of this stuff and going to her and, and talking to her and this whole other like realm of health came out, you know, like hormone balance and like, you know, this genetic component, like, was my body methylating? Like, I just hadn't gotten to that level of health yet, you know? Like, I just wasn't paying attention to those things, which I don't think most of us are. Um, and so I spent the next year just deep in that, like, deep in all of the, you know, not fertility diets, because I think that that's really annoying, <laughs> as I say that as a health coach, but like, you know, because it's like, oh, eat this and eat that. And like, that's not so much helpful, right? Like you have to understand like the genetic components and like what, you know, is your body methylating? Is your body detoxing? Like you, there's more to it than just like eat these fruits and vegetables. Um, and so, yeah, I spent the last year, you know, or that year in between, you know, just really diving really deep into all of that and thinking like, God, if, what happens for the people who don't have the time, don't have the resources. I mean, I was already my own business owner, so I could, um, I had the time to sit and research it. You know, I just couldn't imagine like being in a different situation and like really having to advocate for myself that much and like research that much. And what if I didn't like researching and like, what if that wasn't my nature? Like, where would I be at? Because no provider was going to help me. I mean, I, I, and I'm sure so many can, you know, relate to this, but it was like, oh, it's just, honey, it's just one miscarriage. Like it happens. It's no big deal. And until you have three, we're not going to do more testing and just being like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, why should I have to suffer three more times like this? I barely made it out in the first one. Like, I'm just glad I'm here trying again, you know? Um, and I, and I can't imagine that. And so, um, yeah, spending that year really deep in it, advocating for myself, you know, I said, I, I worked with a naturopath, but it was nice because she, you know, she, she pointed me in directions of things, um, really helped me understand the MTHFR component of it. Um, but they don't help you with actual lifestyle changes. Like they don't, I mean, they do the groundwork, but unless you can pay, I don't know, $300 to see them every month, like they're not going to walk you through the steps of it. And so I remember just being like, wow, what a gap in this system. Like there's nobody to walk me through this. Like I'm going to do it myself. Um, so like I said, fast forward a year, spent all that time trying, had to put on weight to get pregnant, which I thought was crazy. Um, you know, eating and doing all the things I needed to do, I put on, ooh, I don't know, like seven to 10 pounds um, from where I was getting pregnant the first time. And I remember thinking like, that's so weird. Like, you know, you're, when you're nourishing your body that way for it to gain weight, when I already thought like I needed to lose 10 pounds, right? I think most women think like, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds to get pregnant. Um, <clears throat> and the research that I was coming up with was like, actually like, it's really important as women that we have enough fat on our body and that we have the right fat on our body, you know, to, to nourish a baby. And so that was really interesting to me getting pregnant at a weight that I was like already didn't want to be at. Um, and easy got pregnant again, super easy. Just like the first time. I mean, I was charting, we said, we'll try. I got pregnant the first time first month. Um, and I remember thinking, having a miscarriage first before having any kids stole the joy of like announcing it. It stole the joy of the ease, like, Oh, we're going to try to get pregnant and like, see how, you know, see how it goes. And, um, I was really mad and bitter about that because even though I had done all this work, it, it still has stolen joy out of the next pregnancy. 
and of course I thought like, oh, you know, there's such a huge chance that I'll miscarry. Like, what if this is my story? Like, what if I am this like reoccurrent loss person? Like, oh my God, what if this is my identity now? And I just, you know, it, it was really hard. And I went to my, um, doctor who I had seen in high school. So I'm from Washington state. I moved to Hawaii and lived in Hawaii for years and then moved back. But so I went to my provider who diagnosed me with PCOS, um, back in high school. And, and I saw him and I said, listen, I had the shit show of an experience with providers last time. If I learned anything, it was to like be seeing someone, have continuous care through someone. And he was a, a nurse practitioner, but I said, I just, I want to, you feel familiar. I'm just going to go with you and, and until I, you know, need to be passed off to midwives again. He said, okay, great. So let's do, he did a check to just, you know, a women's check to make sure everything looked good. Um, confirmed the pregnancy and then did HCG levels at that point and said, okay, like you'll, you'll get the next one, you know, you know, the, the drill. So you'll come in and get the next one. And we just want to make sure the HCG went up. I said, okay, that's interesting. Cause like, I didn't, Obviously, I didn't do that last time. And um, and so he got the, the back and he said, you know, it's it's a little low for where you should be. And since you know you're when you ovulated like and conceived, he said it's a it's a little low. And I said, okay. He said, let's just do one more and make sure it goes up the amount it's supposed to. And I said, okay, great. So I'm already like worried about it. And um, so he, I don't know how many days it was in between but it wasn't a full week. I don't even think. Um, and so I went to a local lab because he's an hour away and I went to a local lab, got it done. And he called me and he said, Hey, Ellen, I'm really sorry to tell you this. He called me after hours. So I knew I was screwed. Um, and he said, I don't want you to worry, but I know me calling is going to make you worry. He said, but your HCG went up. It just didn't go up what we would want it to in the time frame that we tested. And so I know you're off to Europe. Of course, we had this <laughs> Europe vacation planned. And he said, I know you're off to Europe, but try not to worry. But I, I want you to be prepared for the worst, essentially. And I was like, fucking sweet, right? Like, I'm about to go to Europe, and you're telling me that I'm not probably going to have this baby that I, you know. And sure, don't worry. Like, no big deal. And so I'm already, let's see. So we were gone for a month. So I was, I came back at 12 weeks. Um, so, you know, the whole trip, I'm so bloated. I remember like going through all of the, um, security and being like, I'm pregnant. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to go through a machine. Like you can wave the wand, you can like pat me down or whatever. And I remember being like, good thing I'm so bloated. Cause I actually look pregnant. <laughs> like if I wasn't bloated, they'd be like, uh-huh lady. Um, but yeah, so being super nauseous, you know, bloated, um, and all that through Europe, you know, we didn't tell anybody yet. Um, you know, my close family knew, but that was it. Um, and I was just super cautious because I was waiting to hear that heartbeat. Um, because I had lost so late, like I had found out at almost 12 weeks, like I just didn't even feel like hearing a heartbeat at 12 weeks was going to even matter to me. Like, you know, I just didn't really know how I was going to feel about that. Um, and I ended up getting, so we went to Germany, um, Italy and France on this trip, my husband and I are big backpackers. And so, you know, we're backpacking through, through Europe and, um, I ended up getting sick and I was like, 
you know, oh my gosh, like super, super sick. Not sure at first if it was like morning sickness stuff because I hadn't experienced that before. Well, sure enough, I got like food poisoning or something while we were in Europe and thought I was dying. Like, I mean, I've never been so sick. Um, and we had met with a midwife right before we had had um, left because I was trying to establish care with a midwife um, just in case things had worked out. And this was a different midwife than before because I wasn't, I didn't really I didn't feel great about how things had continued to go with them. Um, and I had actually been to a few more births at that birth center and I just didn't feel like that was my place to give birth. And so anyways, I was looking for a different midwife um, and I'd found this woman and uh, I liked her, our insurance covered her. I wasn't sure how I totally felt about it yet. But um, anyways, so I had called her while I'm in Europe and I was like, hey, I know I'm not technically a patient of yours, but like I have no one else to call and I'm pretty sure like I'm, I, like, should I get medevaced out of here? Like, I'm in this hilltop town in Italy. Like, what should I do? And she said, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. If you can't hydrate, if you can't keep that down after 24 hours, like, then we'd be more concerned. But, like, you're not harming your baby. Like, everything's okay, whatever. So what I, I make it through that. We get out of Europe. Um, and every everything's fine. And, and we get back. And so I established care with this midwife. Because I'm like, thanks for taking me while I'm, like, a crazy person in Europe. And... Um, yeah, so she does um, the Doppler when we get to her to get to her appointment, um, and I'm at 12 weeks, and she does it, and we hear the heartbeat, and man, was I relieved at that point to like, because it was the Doppler again, and I, you know, she had just kind of prefaced that like, you know, if your placenta's in the front, like, we might not hear it, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I've been told that before, but like, also, if I don't hear the heartbeat right now, like, I'm sure it's not. So heard the heartbeat, you know, we started talking about like genetic testing, other things we wanted to do kind of next steps. And um, so we got the genetic blood draw at that point. Um, and it was just kind of like, okay, well, I'll see you for your next appointment. And obviously I wanted to be joyful and excited and, and all of those things. Um, and we were to an extent, you know, it was, it was fun telling family and, and friends and, you know, we announced on social media and all that kind of thing. Um, but I had a lot of hesitation. I think one of the biggest takeaways I had from the miscarriage before was not, I didn't want to wait. I told myself after having that miscarriage, like, I won't wait till 12 weeks to announce because we're told as women, like, Oh, be cautious. Cause you shouldn't announce before 12 weeks because things happen. And I remember being so pissed at that because it's like, if I would have shared more publicly that I was pregnant at six weeks or eight weeks, you know, before the loss, then I would have had way more people in my corner and I wouldn't have had to say, Hey, yeah, I was pregnant. I had a loss. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have been all in one sentence. I could have celebrated a little bit more and then had more people in my corner checking in on me when I didn't want anyone to check in on me, but it was really actually important that people did check in on me. Um, and so it's funny that with my pregnancy that I didn't tell people earlier, like, even though that was like my biggest takeaway from, from that experience, but I was just, yeah, really guarded. And so, um, obviously we announced, you know, people are all excited and it was good. Um, the scare in the beginning definitely set the tone for that pregnancy. Um, and that, that was really hard. Um, but you know, made it through, I had a great pregnancy. I loved being pregnant. I was that person. Um, I was super healthy before. So it just was, I didn't have morning, like morning sickness. I mean, I was a little nauseous in that first trimester, but I, you know, I never got sick. Um, so everything just really went well. Um, and I had my, I ended up having a home birth, um, and it was empowering and all of the things that I wanted it to be. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and my postpartum journey is like a whole different story, but it was a shit show. 
Um, so I always joke, like you can't have a healthy pregnancy, like love being pregnant and be that annoying person that like loves being pregnant and have an amazing birth and have an amazing postpartum. Like you have to have one, one of them to go like astray. Right. Um, so yeah, my postpartum was a whole different story. My daughter had, um, tongue tie, lip tie, you know, which is signs of the MTHFR gene for anybody who doesn't know that it is a sign of, of that as well, the, the linear defects. Um, so like the blue vein, um, the stork bites, you know, the little reds that they get, like they can have them on their eyes and back of their neck, um, the tongue tie, lip tie, um, those are all, all signs of it. So anyway, she had pretty much all of them. Um, so breastfeeding was a shit show, even though I had helped so many women in postpartum, I mean, I was just a hot mess. So breastfeeding was hard. She ended up with a feeding tube. I mean, it was just, it was a lot. Um, and yeah, so fast forward, she, we started trying for, um, second baby. Ooh, what was that? September. So because breastfeeding, and I say this quickly about postpartum, but cause I won't get too far into that, but because breastfeeding was so bad, I had this timeline in my head that we had to have a baby, a June baby, because we live in Washington and there's like three months of summer and otherwise it's just a shit storm of rain and cold and whatever. And I had developed rain odds, which is um, of the nipple, which if anybody actually knows what that is, I feel sorry that you know what it is, but rain odds, rain odds of the nipple. So people get it, it's an autoimmune condition um, where like your fingertips and your toes go like white and tingle and it feels like, like shards of glass. Well, I got that from trauma to my nipples. Um, I got that in my nipples. And so breastfeeding until I stopped breastfeeding at 19 months was painful. Like it was just painful. Um, so anyways, my plan, because I'm a planner, was to get pregnant so that I had a June baby. And so we tra started trying um, the month you know, before. Um, in so yeah, in the end of August, beginning of September, we started trying. And um, I didn't get pregnant that first month, but I thought, okay, well, things are probably a little bit off and whatever. Um, and, but then did get pregnant the second month we tried. Was gonna have a very end of May, beginning of June baby. And I thought, perfect, great. Um, and it was weird because I had tested and the line was faint. And I remember just being like, yeah, that doesn't feel right. Like this, and really kind of disconnecting at that point. I had another girlfriend that was trying to get pregnant at the same time. So we were kind of texting each other. And I said, you know, I don't know, like I'll, you know, I'll test tomorrow. And I tested again and it was still faint. And so I ended up having a chemical miscarriage at five weeks. I hate the word chemical miscarriage. I had people in my life who I won't name, but uh, who definitely were like, so are you sure you had a miscarriage? Like, are you sure that's what that means? I'm like, yeah, if there's HCG, that means you had a baby in you. Like that's what it, you know, well, obviously a, a pregnancy, um, not quite a baby yet, but anyways, so that was, um, was hard. I was actually, so I, for the last um, two years, I have transitioned into this work that I'll talk about, but I, so I wasn't taking birth clients anymore. And I, I had only actually taken a birth client um, because it was a second time mom of mine who was having a home birth. And I just really wanted to be there to support the family. And so I actually started miscarrying at that, at that home birth. Um, and it was my midwife who was delivering that baby, like my midwifery team who I'd had my daughter with. And you know, of course I come in and I'm not going to tell my client that I'm miscarrying like at their birth. Like I wouldn't, you know, would never. And, and, but I remember her saying like, I know you have this birth that we're all going to be at, 
are you okay to be at this birth? And I said, well, I have to be like, I have to be like, this is not, this is not about me. Like this is about this client. And I said, I'll be fine. You know? And I think because of my experience before and, and being told that it was okay to experience joy in the midst of a miscarriage, that it was okay to have grief look different, that you didn't have to be dead to the world, crying the whole time to still be mourning that baby. Like it didn't make that baby less wanted or less cared about because you weren't a mess essentially. And so I said, yeah, no, I'll be there. I'm, I'm here, you know, and getting to that birth and them all hugging me and, and having a minute wanting to cry, going to the bathroom and being like, literally looking at myself in the mirror and being like, you know, get it together. Like you can't, you know, you can't be a mess. And, um, going to the birth, it was beautiful beautiful home birth. Um, and it didn't really hit me until the baby came out and I was just like, shit, like how ironic that I'm literally birthing my baby, passing my baby, my, what was going to be my baby while this, you know, beautiful client of mine has her baby in her arms. And, and instead of feeling sorry for myself, I really, honestly, it was really empowering. It was like, I just at that moment had felt that like, you will too kind of thing. Like this isn't going to define you. Like this isn't going to be, um, you know, you're not going to have all, if, even if you have more miscarriages, like you still have your baby. Like I still have my two-year-old. Like I, I am a mother. I had this beautiful birth. Like I had this empowering experience. And if there are mis more miscarriages in my future, okay. But you've had this beautiful experience and also this firm just belief that I would have that experience again. Um, and I know that's not the story for everybody. Um, and I know there are plenty of women listening to this probably who have not even had a baby. Um, and so I want to honor that for you, but, um, obviously all of our, our experiences look different. Um, but I was really thankful that I was passing on my own because of all the trauma that had happened with the first, I was just so glad my body was doing it on its own. And so for it to be a chemical miscarriage, like was better to me. Like at least I was, you know, passing it myself and I didn't have to have a DNC and all of that stuff again. So there was things that I was grateful for in that, um, amidst all of the craziness of it. Um, you know, and this was just in uh, October. So of course I am, like I had said, you know, since having my miscarriage, I, um, certified for nutrition. I beca became a, essentially, um, a health coach for a nutritionist for women who are trying to get pregnant, um, and <laughs> want to balance their hormones. So even women who are not, um, necessarily looking to get pregnant right now, I'm teaching the foundations of women's health. So charting, how to chart your cycle, how to avoid pregnancy, um, without being on birth control. Because if anybody, I mean, I think as women, we're all taught like, oh, you can get pregnant at any time if you're not on birth control. So like get off birth control and like you could get pregnant tomorrow. And I've heard so many clients been, you know, and, and even clients in my chair as a, a hairstylist that were just sure that they were going to get pregnant at any time. And so I had been charting for years and years and knew that that was not the case that, you know, you ovulate, um, or maybe you're not ovulating and that's important information to know. So, um, I work with women to teach them that, that kind of foundation body literacy is what I essentially call it. So it's knowing what a healthy cycle is, 
you know, PMS is not normal, um, which we're told all the time is normal. Um, you know, what is a normal healthy cycle? How do you chart it and track it? Do you know if you're ovulating? Because that's a really big first step, like knowing if you're ovulating and having the power and the knowledge yourself to be able to assess that. I mean, in this journey, I had taken, like even before I had gotten pregnant with the, you know, the miscarriage, I had gone to a doctor and said, hey, I'm 27, like, you know, I, I'm not young. My husband's five years older than me. I just want to check and make sure everything's fine. And they did a transvaginal, said everything looks fine because I had PCOS, said, you know, don't have any cystic ovaries your um, progesterone levels look fine. I said, yeah, but like, look at my chart and I'm just not really sure. And he goes, yeah. And like thumbed through it. It was just like, uh -huh, uh -huh. and I realized at that point, he had no idea about my chart. He had no idea what any of that meant. Um, and so anyways, it was super empowering. It was really good knowledge for me to have knowing when I ovulated, you know, getting, being able to know that I was ovulating. And so that was kind of took out part of that, that mystery. Um, and then, you know, again, knowing the gene component was really, really important. So I work with a lot of women to understand their genetics and understand the genetic um, issues that can be there, um, you know, not too in depth, but definitely around like the detox pathways and, and that sort of thing with MTHFR. Um, so just really body literacy and, and understanding your hormones, making sure that your hormones are balanced and how important that is just again for just being a woman in general. And, and does that mean, you know, trying to get pregnant or does that mean even healing postpartum? You know, we're just handed a shit storm of, of hormones after and we're breastfeeding and we maybe don't have our cycle back. Um, and you know, how are we going to make sure that we're really nourishing our bodies for hormone health and not for weight loss or for this aesthetic goal, but to really nourish our bodies and our bodies will lose weight and we will go back to our healthy weight if we're, our focus is hormone health. And so, you know, I, I know a lot of women are told in their process of getting pregnant, especially if you're overweight, you know, it's always, well, lose weight first and then we'll talk about it kind of thing. Um, and I'll just say that the weight is not as important as your hormone health. So your hormone balance matters more. Um, and with true hormone balance, like your body will level out at what weight is healthy for you. And that looks different for all of us. Um, and so I really, really work on that foundation for women. And we build on that by addressing essentially the infertility um, <laughs> root causes, which are inflammation. So everything that we know about about infertility is linked to inflammation. So if we have autoimmune conditions like PCOS, um, you know, if we uh, have gut imbalances that can be causing it, um, our, we, there's a huge gut connection with fertility, which I, I'm not going to get too far into because it's just, it gets deep. But um, so I cover again, body literacy. We talk about, um, detoxing, making sure that your liver um, in your body is able to detox so that your body is not so toxically burdened that it's so inflamed that it's not able to continue to keep a pregnancy. Our bodies are wise. If we're inflamed, it's uh, causing stress hormones. And so if those stress hormones are super high, that cortisol is super high, um, whether it be emotional stress and physical, you know, physical stress, our bodies are still dumping that cortisol. And so our body prioritizes what's most important and fertility is the first thing out the window our body says i'm not going to bring a baby into this world if you're super stressed or your body's super inflamed like i we know you know um instinct wise that, that that's not the best thing for your body at the time so i really think you know kind of going back to my own story i think my 
hormones, everything looked great going into this pregnancy um, that I had the loss with, but what was out of control was stress. Hello, COVID. Hello, we just purchased a new home. Like all of the things. And I was so set on my timeline that I didn't even look up to say, hello, maybe you're a little too stressed to be pregnant right now. Like maybe that's a part of this. And so my work right now is working on not being so stressed. And that feels kind of like a slap in the face sometimes, I think with infertility, because it's like, sure, I'll just not be stressed over it. Um, but what I really work with women is understanding, again, not physical stress, so toxic burden, you know, gut health, um, those kind of things, but also managing, you know, things that can be causing stress, like a bad thyroid, thyroid conditions, um, you know, underlying autoimmune conditions that you don't know of. Um, for me, I have a history of Epstein-Barr virus. And right after the miscarriage, I had a literal month of <laughs> cold source. One would stop and one would come back. I mean, I just, and of course, like my body was just so stressed and so inflamed that there was no way I was going to be able to have um, a healthy pregnancy. And so I just started focusing on self-care. I think as a mom, like I was so good at self-care before. And I think about probably like the posts that I made before becoming a mom. And I'm like, you're annoying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure, <laughs> sure. You can practice self-care when you have no child to care for. Like that sounds luxurious. Like, sure. I'll take a bath and journal. Like, um, so I had really, when I had assessed where I was at, like my self-care was just shit. I mean, running my own business and, <laughs> taking care of a two-year-old and being in the pandemic and moving and my husband's job and like all that, it just was that stress that I was like, okay, well, like, are you going to take care of yourself or are you going to continue to have miscarriages and put that stress on yourself? You know? So I just really took a step back and said, you know, okay, I'm not going to, we're not going to try again right now. Um, I'm going to take care of myself. And if I can't take care of myself, <laughs> then it's not the right time, you know? And so really trying to make peace with like, I'm going to set up some more boundaries um, and find more time for myself and, and care for myself better. And, and it's so funny, but as a mom, I mean, what that looks like for me is like washing my face and doing my skincare morning and night. What? Like I, you know what I mean? Like doing my hair once a week, like I have thick hair and it is a pain in the ass to wash. And you know, if I curl it or let it air dry, natural curl, whatever, but it's just a pain, you know? And so doing those things, getting back into journaling, um, you know, gratitude in the morning. I have a gratitude thing just written on my mirror, like, you know, those small steps, um, because there's a million and 17 reasons why you can forget to brush your teeth in the morning. Like, and I never thought that would be me. I'm that I'm a type A person that is, there's no way. If you would have told me that before I would have laughed. Um, and so setting that time to journal, setting that time to, you know, just a few minutes while I'm brushing my teeth to do my gratitude that I have written on the mirror, like, you know, those things and, and committing to washing my face and putting on my moisturizer and all those things, like it's not easy. And that's, I hate saying that because again, my type A is like, oh, come on. But I think anybody who's mom, you know, knows what that feels like. So just really prioritizing that. Um, and so I do feel like I can speak deeper into that now, um, with my clients and be like, no, really like stress is a big component of it. Um, and so just really setting up, um, real self-care and real stress management. And, you know, I joke even that sometimes that means just avoiding stressors. Like maybe that's your family. 
Maybe that's having conversations with certain people. Maybe it's because you always don't get gas on the way home. And then in the morning you're sitting there with your gas tanks empty and now you've got a toddler in your car and you're supposed to be somewhere. And right. Like that's not stress that we have to deal with. Like we put that on ourselves. And so get gas when it's on half, you know, like don't go home no matter what. It's not going to be worse than in the morning when you're, you know, forget that you need to get gas, you know? So it's, it's things like that, like logical stuff. Um, and having accountability, you know, and, and, um, and being in community with other women. So, you know, from both of those experiences, um, I've been working with women. I have a 12 week group program where, like I said, we walk through all of those underlying root causes of, of um, infertility or loss. And I just help women really get deep into that information and have that empowerment around their body so that they know those foundational, you know, that body literacy stuff that they know when they're ovulating, they know what's normal, what's not normal. Um, I equip them with the abilities to go to their providers with testing questions like, okay, I want to get my hormones ran. I need to get my gut test tested. Um, you know, I, my thyroid panel. I mean, I, I would be rich <laughs> if it were for, if I had a dollar for every woman that told me that, oh, my thyroid's normal. It's so annoying to me because they're not, ladies, they're not likely to be running your full thyroid panel. I don't care what doctor you go to. It is very unlikely that they run your full thyroid panel. And even if they did, the ranges that they have are not ranges for pregnancy. Um, so I'll just say that like, you know, and even the fertility diets that are out there, I mean, there's just a lot of misinformation and it's also a lot about like, you know, taking things out and, and really unrealistic ways of moving forward. Um, and so I, I created a program for, you know, it's a 12 week program that walks you through that in a digestible way that, that isn't like, here's all the information, like good luck. Um, and so it's group coaching. Um, I think just like this podcast creates, like that community is necessary. And so being in a community with other women, um, it, it's just, it's really beautiful. And so it's called the Harmony Hive. Um, and yeah, it's just become something that I'm super thankful for, especially going through miscarriage again to really have that community um, and have the steps to move forward, even for myself. It's a good reminder for myself, you know, as you teach it, you're like, oh, right. Yeah, I should probably do that again too. You know, like, okay. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful project that I've been working on for the last two years. I love that. I am a big advocate on the thyroid situation because that was like what my problem was and I had four miscarriages and my doctor kept being like your thyroid's normal your thyroid's normal your thyroid's normal and then I went to an RE and they were like your thyroid's not normal for what you Uh are trying to achieve right now um and went thyroid medication and had my son Ryan you know so we'll never truly know if that's what was you you never do know right going through this but I mean it's yeah, definitely what I'm thinking was the problem, you know, but just the way everything laid out. But yeah, I am a huge advocate on that. And I know a lot of women on here have thyroid issues and have eventually yeah. found that out. It's a huge factor in infertility. So um, yeah. I think it's so cool and- that you offer questions for people to take to their provider. I think that's yeah. like the hardest thing to do. You you know, you go to your appointments and then you completely draw a blank on what you wanted to talk about. Yeah. 
And also they don't expect you to know anything, right? So they expect that, that they're the all knowing. And so for you to say, okay, well, or even just, even just to say, you know, if they say, well, honey, it's okay. I don't need, you know, your panel looks fine. Or, or I ran the ones that are important. Then, you know, at that point, then they're not your provider. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You hire them, you fire them, you move on. Like you just don't go back and see them. You find another provider. And I think what's missing in our um, healthcare system is we need a doula, right? And we need a health coach and we need a nutritionist and we need a naturopath and we need an OBGYN. And like, right? Like I don't want to be seeing a naturopath if I need a, uh, if I need a C-section, right? Like if there's an emergent need and I need surgery, like yay OBGYN, right? Like we, we need all of them in place because the, at, you know, at the delivery room, it's not the nurse's job actually to coach you through labor. It's not, you just are lucky if you ever got a nice nurse, like that's going to walk you through it at all. It's not their job. And so it is the space for a doula to, to hold that space for you and to, you know, change, help you change positions and be there for you emotionally. And to have already made that bond and that connection, like it's different. So there is a place for that, just as there is a place for, you know, the work that I'm doing to help empower you so that you know, okay, I've done the foundation. And even if that means I've done this foundation and I'm going to do IVF or an IUI or whatever, like you still have to have balanced hormones to keep that baby. Yeah. Like you have to have that for postpartum, you know, you have to, it's the foundation as women. And, and if we're women birthing girls, you know, that are going to be women, it's really critical that we know what a normal cycle is. And so that from the beginning, we can say like, okay, I'm seeing some hormonal imbalances. Like let's cut back on your, the toxicity that you're exposed to. Let's start with that. Right. Like let's, um, you know, take out the crappy makeup. Let's, let's be aware of the body products that we're putting on, you know, that kind of stuff so that she can have a normal cycle so that she doesn't get put on birth control at 14, 15, like I did, you know, I got put on it because I was a, a high level, um, soccer player and it was just convenient and I had terrible cramps because hello, I have PCOS. It was just undiagnosed at that point, you know? So if I would have had hormone balance from the beginning, I wouldn't have gotten into my twenties and been on birth control and had a horrible experience with birth control. Um, and, and then decided to get off of it. Right. Like I wouldn't have had to advocate for myself through all of those things. I would have had that foundation. And so that's really my passion is man, whether or not you're trying to get pregnant right now, you still need this foundation. And whether or not you're pregnant right now, you still need this foundation for, for postpartum. Um, you know, so it's just really critical and important information. And as women, you know, we have a whole different rhythm to our bodies than men do. And, and all of the diets and, you know, for women who are doing keto to get pregnant or you're vegan or whatever, like there's so much misinformation. Those diets and, you know, even workouts are studied on men. They are not studied for women. We have a whole different hormonal um, rhythm than men. You know, men experience all their hormones within a day. Um, women experience them all within the month. So it's a variant that, that changes throughout the month and it's not all in one day. And so we don't have that same rhythm and it's important that we don't function off of something that is not for our bodies. And so when we stop fighting against it, you know, the, the weight loss happens without trying, you know, you're not depriving yourself. Like you feel better energetically you know, your hormones are balanced. So you're not experiencing PMS. You're not experiencing the things that, um, we've been told are normal and are, are okay. And just to get through. So yeah, yeah it's important. Yeah.
I have um so I have a degree in exercise science and so like cortisol levels too like it's crazy how much that stress hormone can play a role in our weight gain our weight loss like you know there's just so much that goes into women's bodies it's ridiculous totally unfair but it's I mean it is what it is right Imagine if we taught young women, like in health class, how to track their cycles rather than um, just this is how our cycle works. Let's move on. You know, like what if we like right. learn to track our cycles and like think of how many more young women wouldn't need to go on birth control then because they would understand what yep. is going on <laughs> with their cycle. Yeah. Maybe and also just not be scared of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I, I don't remember health class. I literally, the only thing I remember from health class is doing a word, like we had to create word searches. Yeah. I, I don't even know with like keywords. And of course one of them was penis. And like, so at, at whatever age that was like, I don't know, middle school, like that's super funny. And I remember somebody had spelled penis wrong in their like crossword. And so I remember a teacher being like penis and like spelling it out and being like, that's not how you spell it. And like, embarrassing the kid anyways that's all I literally remember. And you're like yes this is what we should be learning penis <laughs> that's all I know um so you know like I but I had no idea I mean I remember I've told this story before but I remember you know being in Hawaii and um wanting to get off birth control I had an abnormal pap all of a sudden and I was on a um, the uh, copper IUD and it, and it ended up implanting and I had to get it out yeah and it gave me a zinc deficiency. And I was like, what? That can happen? Like, yes. no informed consent. I had no idea. Um, and I was terrified to get off. The copper IUD to anybody. Yeah. It's like one of my me things. either. I see it on forums all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, but I had gone to this health food store that was in the town, this tiny Hawaiian town that I lived in. And the gal that ran it, I was like, yeah, honey, like, have you ever researched birth control? And I was like, no, why would I? I'm 23. Like, well, I don't care. And she was like, so you should look into it. She like gave me all these studies and she was like, you know, you can chart your, and, and I remember saying like, yeah, but I don't want to get pregnant. She's like, yeah, I, I totally understand that. But like, you can't get pregnant every day. Like you, you know, like when you ovulate, you have like a window of ovulation. And I'm like, what? Like, no way. <laughs> And so she like told me that I could take my temperature. She was essentially telling me fertility awareness method. And I was like voodoo witchcraft, Hawaiian lady, like no way. I went back to the salon and was like telling the girls that I worked with and everyone was like, yeah, right. Like we all were like, there's no way that that's real because if that's real, why hadn't we been taught that? Like, why didn't we know that we only had this small window of ovulation and that we, you know, didn't have this huge risk of getting pregnant. Um, yeah. And we just totally thought it was crazy. And I luckily, like, because of being a researcher, I started to look at what she was saying and I was like, Oh my God, she's real. Like this is real. And then, you know, I started charting from there, but yeah, it's powerful. It's powerful information and we're just not giving it. And it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't chart at all until I had my miscarriage and then I started researching and charting and learning my yeah. body. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. It's wild. Now, if somebody wants to work with you, where could they do so? 
Yeah, so I, the next Harmony Hive group starts January 18th. Um, and so I'm always taking applications for that. I pretty much do consults to see if, if it's the right fit for you. Um, and so that's always ongoing. So if you miss the January 18th, no big deal. But um, yeah, that group is going to go January 18th. And you can go to yourharmonyhive.com um, to sign up to do a consult with me um, or just join because you heard this and think it's perfect. Um, uh, but yeah, I do the group coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I usually really like people to go through the foundational um, group first. And then if we need to get in, into deeper um, coaching on that, then sweet. But um, yeah, I'm just really trying to push that community. Um, I also have a, a free Facebook page um, that you can join if you're interested in just more information. Um, and that's Your Hive Life on Facebook. Um, and then obviously Instagram, I'm in DMs. If you want to DM me and ask me questions and, and all of that, I'm pretty active there. Um, and so that's under ellen.r.barnard. Awesome. And I'll link those in the description of this episode too, so that people can Perfect. just go to the description, click on the link and um, they can get connected with you. So thank you so much, Ellen, for doing this. I absolutely loved this episode. It was a little bit different than our normal episodes, but um, I thought it was so empowering and cool and I just think what you're doing is amazing for the community so thank you thank you yeah thanks for getting it out there absolutely we will talk soon okay thanks Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 